justice is coming to all of us. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. your ears uncle luke has finally finally let me take over one podcast so i'm here today with mo and we're gonna get things cracking mo welcome i am glad to be here and finally ready to talk some watchmen this has been so long in the making i know we've been kind of dragging getting this one going but you know what it's finally here it's today let's get it so watchmen the pilot episode it definitely started with a bang. What do you have to say about it, Mo? I watched it uh, multiple times, and even like in this recently in the last few days, prior to um, in preparation for this recording. And you, each time I watch it, when you start off in 1921, Tulsa at the um, Black Wall Street massacre, yes, you are just absorbed into that world, and it really does take a while for you to adjust your senses to to think that you know you know approximately a hundred years ago you know people were being gunned down in the street you know like like animals just because you know they because they were black and they were making gains and cue to whether it's 2019 whether it's 2020 we're still dealing with the same issues, maybe not to the extreme of a of an airplane flying in, dropping a bomb or something. <laughs> but, you know, we are still dealing with, with essentially these mm-hmm. the same dilemmas. We're still grappling with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really love that the show started in the past and it put you in a place of where you didn't exactly know what's going on. I mean, they gave you the little writing at the bottom that was like, you know, this was 1920s and this was Tulsa. And you know, you know, if you know anything about history a little bit, you're like, oh, this is the the race massacre and, you know, parts of history that people don't like to shine a light on. So I really loved that we started there and it kind of just threw you into the show and it forces you to pay attention to what's going on and what's still going on, like Mo was pointing out earlier. So it definitely set the president, I think, for the show. And we kind of start learning more and more about our main characters and things of that nature. So it for me, the beginning was just, wow, it, it really takes you there. So... Once we get through to the pilot, we get to the Tulsa Race Massacre, and we meet our main character, Miss Angela Abar, played by the amazing Regina King. And it turns out in modern-day Tulsa, they've created this organization and this building where if you are related to someone who was in the Tulsa Race Massacre, you're kind of, it's almost like reparations, but... That's another story for another time. So 
Yeah. Well, Mo got something to say about that. So, Go ahead. No, I was. I, well, hey, hey, they, no, they they called. Remember, they called it Redforations. That's true. That's true. Because of Robert Redford. And mm-hmm. funny, and I mean, like, remember, we have in our contemporary 2020, we had a presidential candidate, Tom Steyer. You know, his platform was reparations. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. I, I mean, it, it, I I I just was thinking about that. You know, um, the, the parallel between, you know, what they were discussing in the show with our contemporary politics. Um, and it's just really fascinating to overlap. But I'm sorry, but go ahead, Mel. No. Yeah. So and we also learned that Angela, she has a family and she was also part of the police department. And now in modern day Tulsa, we kind of discover that everything is not like today. It's more of a dystopian future, kind of. And the police, they patrol, but really they're protecting people from the racists and all kinds of different sci-fi creatures that we learn about later. So I, I really just, this show immerses you immediately when you walk in. And I think Regina did a fantastic job as Angela Abar trying to keep her kind of grounded in realism, but also realizing that shit is crazy around me. How'd you feel about Regina King? No, I I think Regina King was just the perfect, well, I was going to say the vessel and and truly Mm -hmm. the perfect vessel as we later, as, um, as we get to the end, end of um, this, what we hope is the first season. But I do feel like Regina King, you know, just embodies a very different kind of vigilante than what we're used to getting, whether it's on television, whether it's in comics. You know, it's 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 this very strong black woman take no charge. And it's very interesting, especially in this you know community of Tulsa where it, it it's this history of racism and these white men like Judd Crawford, you know, mm. are the ones who, you know, more or less appear to be in charge. But as you see throughout this first episode <laughs> and subsequent episodes, it was Sister Knight <laughs> who was the real force of nature. Because they, they, them men cow cowtailed to uh, Sister Knight. I mean, homegirl was I mean, I mean, literally dragging people in the bathrooms, beating the shit out of them, and then they, they, these, men, these men just stood there and did, did nothing. Well, she was the one they would call anytime something went wrong or they didn't know exactly what to do. They were like, beep, beep, Sister Knight, we need you, and here she comes to save the day. And I thought her relationship with Judd Crawford was interesting, too. Because they were they really got along and they respected each other, but come to find out, Judd Crawford had a past he didn't want nobody to know about. <laughs> like that uh KKK outfit in his closet. Now that was a reveal. Yeah, <laughs> I well, I mean I, I, I'm I yeah, I that just that took me that that took me back. I mean, I was mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, his his he was probably. I was thinking, okay, Oklahoma, uh, affluent family, or at least he, you know, he 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 pulled himself up and 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 made a name for himself in the community. 
in in the law in the law enforcement, potentially, you know, it was white supremacist ties to his family. You know, and mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, you know, I was thinking because when they flashed that photo of and what, what was you know him as a young boy with mm-hmm. with um, one of the men who was in the flashback to 1921 Tulsa, yes. you know, and you made that connection between them. Okay, it was like, okay, he was brought up white supremacist. He was was brought up as part of the Klan. You know, I mean, you know, we can't choose our family, you know, sometimes. Mm. Mm. So I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, he he come to respect Angela A. Barr and, you know, and because of the white knight and 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 feel like he's forged this relationship and, you know, and it's in it. They've made some sort of familiar bond. I mean, they sold me on that. Up until until we got the clan out. I mean, once that (laughs) happened, I mean, I just it just shattered all my illusions at at this point. What you thought you knew, you didn't know, and I feel like that's a lot of the theme in this show. You think it's going right, but suddenly it turns left. Mm -hmm. So, we're getting back to things. In the pilot episode, it did feature around, in the flashbacks in 1921, it featured around a little boy who we later find out is an old, old man now, portrayed by the iconic Louis Gossett Jr. And he happens to be related to Miss Angela Abar, which opens up the rest of the season of after he he killed Judd Crawford, he, he straight up hung him, and that's how the pilot ends is that we see him in the wheelchair. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is in the wheelchair. Jack Crawford is hung up and Angela Abar finds him. And that's how it takes us into the rest of the season. And it was a roller coaster ride throughout the whole thing. Did you have any favorite moments or outstanding performances, Mo? Well, I mean, it, it really just depended on the episode i mean and it and it very much varied within the for me within within the first episode um i have to say don johnson i mean he mm. is judd crawford he just showed sides of me in this range that, that you didn't I, know he had i know it's like cause i'm you know it's like it's Judd Crawford. I mean, it's it's Don Johnson. It's Crockett, and you know, it's it's Bobby Vice. You know, that's what I'm okay. And I'm like, you know, you just need the drums. You're like, boom, 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 boom. You know, my Mammy Vice, and mm-hmm. and so just the level of empathy he, or at least he pretended to show, and that's the thing. It's like I believe, I truly believe, on some level. He was so he was so deep undercover mm-hmm. that he turned he he you know he 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 started to care for his mark, <laughs> and I think a piece of him did, mm-hmm. and so I I it, it was the chemistry just between mm-hmm. and not sexual chemistry it's not not it's just familiar chemistry mm-hmm. between Angela between. I mean, it, it just, you just could, you can imagine them having the dinners that they were having mm-hmm. on a regular basis, that mm-hmm. they would go out and do things together. Yep. So, 
for, for me, for, for me, that first, it was, it was Don Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as we progress through the series, I think, um, when we in, get, get to the third episode and, uh, we are introduced to Lori, Bra- uh, Lori Bra- Blake, AKA she Lori was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so when we get to Jean Smart, when she shows up as the what we later learn fairly quickly in the third episode as the older version of the Watchmen character, Silk Spectre, okay. and how she has this dark comedic tone. And if you're familiar, you know, with the source material, you're, fo- you're even familiar with the movie, you know, she's kind of take tr- sort of quasi taking on you know a personality that mimics her father the comedian Mm. and so her performances you know and in that you know from the third from the moment she is introduced on it's it's just you are just so immersed in that character of of Lori but you love the interactions when she spars with Angela Abar. I mean, it's like, I just want like those two just going at it. And I wish we had more episodes, just of those two going at it together. Uh, because once, I, yeah, I was just going to say, cause you know, mm-hmm. once we, we kind of get into the second half, you know, they kind of separate and they go off for a little bit. And yeah. And, and so, but I have to say, I mean, Jean Smart was just phenomenal. She was great. She was. I love that she. Her character came in, Lori Blake, and she was no nonsense. She was a thousand percent in Angela Abar's face, which we written really hadn't seen yet in the series because Angela had commanded the screen. She commanded everyone. Nobody knew to mess with her. Lori Blake came in, played by Jean Smart. And she was just like, look, Angela Abar, I don't have time for your foolishness today. The FBI didn't sent me and I'm going to get down to the bottom of all this craziness going on here. And she just stood toe to toe with Regina King. And it was flawless. She did such a fantastic job in her role. I, I really just loved all of it. And I do agree. I wish we could have seen more of them. But the way the story kind of spun off is she got more wrapped up into the the B story, the side story. So I kind of understand the way it goes. I also have to give kudos and shout outs and please forgive me if I butcher this man's name, but his name is Yahya Abdul Mateen II. He played Cal Abar slash Dr. Manhattan. And this man did the thing during the entire series because the way he plays he was Regina King's husband in the beginning. We find out that that whole thing became a setup and we were hoodwinked and bamboozled. At least I was, but he's her husband. He's playing the loving husband at first, but then we find out that he's not really who we think he is. And he is this all powerful mythical being. And I feel like the actor did a fabulous job portraying, all of that. You want to talk about range? That right there is range. And we could get definitely more into it uh, if we want to talk about like the finale or 
the episode before the finale where we really find out everything about Dr. Manhattan and who he is and his powers and how he knew every how everything was going to turn out. It was just, oh, man, it takes me there. I tell y'all. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, you knew something was not quite right. Not, not, it just wasn't like, oh, he's, <laughs> it just felt like he was just too nice and right. just too chill. And the way he was with the kids, it was, he was Mr. Mom. Right. And, you know, and then slowly you feel like, Okay, Angela is the alpha in this relationship, ironically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like constantly trying to pr- protect him. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, don't get too close to Lori. You know, I mean, it is in, and, and when I rewatched, um, particularly again, that, that third episode at the funeral, uh, for just after the two of, uh, when Cal, and Lori, after they met, mm-hmm. you know, there was a scene where she gave him a glance where, where they started, where they were looking at each other. Cal right. kind of looked over at her and, 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 and glance and gave her this glance. And I'm wondering is, was that him subconsciously remembering <laughs> that he, they used to be together yep. and he was John Osterman. So it, it, there's just so many layers. His acting was phenomenal because those are small cues that unless mm-hmm. you've watched the whole season, then do a rewatch, you may not pick <laughs> up on those things. And he he his he was dropping little clues. And, you know, I heard these interviews where he was talking about, you know, there was a certain point he did find out that he was he was gonna be Dr. Manhattan and how he had to play it. And mm-hmm. and he he he, he Gave a yeoman's <laughs> class on acting and turn, yes. you know, until the card was ready to be re- pulled or be flipped over. And it was interesting because if you remember, he was Black Manta, the yes. younger Black Manta and, and Aquaman. Mm-hmm. And that was more of a cartoonish kind of role, considering, you know, how Black Manta was treated in that film mm-hmm. to how serious. And stoic this is, especially once you get into, you know, those those especially those last two episodes. Um it just 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 phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um for me, I really have to say, like, you know, one of the most quintessential, the most pivotal episodes is episode six, which uh which is this extraordinary being. And it's when Angela, you know, has taken all of her grandfather Will's um, nostalgia medication and it <laughs> kicks in and it has this whole flashback to his life. And she is literally yeah. just sort of immersed herself in his mm-hmm. life and is reliving it. And how visually extraordinary that was very interesting how that that episode was done because it was pre- uh it was predominantly black and white yep. and where there are these scenes where, you know, they were literally overlaying, you know, they would have, um, a younger actor, um, and who, uh, actually who played Regina King's son mm-hmm. on, uh, the HBO show, 
um, but it'll come back to me the, the they um, the show that they were on together. So it was interesting. Like in this, it was kind of the the inverse. Like you know, the same actor played you know, her grandfather. Um, they were on the leftovers together. Mm-hmm. The, the actor who played the younger Will Reeves, um, and uh, his his name is I Yvonne and. Uh, Excuse me for, uh, for I'm, I'm, I hope I don't butcher, butcher this young man's name, um, Yvonne Adepo. Okay. Okay. Um, but he was really great as the younger Will Reeves because again, you know, he's kind of got to pick up on Louis Gossett Jr.'s body language, kind of marry that with his own to tell this coherent narrative, and then Regina King at some at at certain key moments she mm-hmm. literally has to slip into that scene where we see you know will something that happens to will reeves from angela's perspective and and it's when we learn in in that episode that you know will reeves angela's grandfather is hooded justice you know mm-hmm. the original masked vigilante in this universe which is just one of the biggest Watchmen mysteries throughout the throughout whether it's the comics whether it's the movie all media it was it's one of the biggest biggest mysteries and the fact that they decided in this show to make him a black man hmm. and when society just assumed he was white because that American um that American hero story that 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 show within the show, you know, always just yes. made it assume like he was white. Naturally, of course, you know, the first <laughs> vigilante would be a white man. You know, black but a person of color could never be a vigilante, you know, so early <laughs> yes, on. They can. <laughs> and, and and so I, I, I just I think if if you if if you as someone who and, and that's an episode where you you kind of got to know a bit more about the Watchmen universe, the comics, and so forth, to kind of fully get that episode if you haven't been following the show. Um, but I think oh. it's it's a very quintessential episode for this series, and, and it really kind of kind of sets up the last three episodes perfectly well speaking of the last three episodes we can get into the end of the season where honestly things just go insane there's one character we haven't brought up yet and that is mr adrian Vite, ozymandias that is one jeremy irons is amazing and i'm just gonna preface that by everything i say but that was one con Using story. This is me. I don't know much about the comics. I watched the show. Regina King was in it and had sci-fi elements, so I was all the way about it. But his character was so hard to figure out in the beginning because they kept showing just little snippets of him being in this grand mansion and there are all these people who happen to look alike. And after a while, you figure out, these are clones. And is he creating these clones? Oh, yes. Yes, he is, absolutely. And that connects him to our story in Tulsa. So once the finale comes along and everybody kind of really comes together, it is insane. I just, it all blows my mind. How'd you feel about the finale, Mo? 
Yeah, I mean, there was a lot to unpack in there. I mean, again, when you when you start down the path of this, even talking about Adrian Veidt, or as he <laughs> liked to say, Adrian Veidt, you know, um, you know, you have to bring in Lady True into the mix, and yeah. you know, Lady True is the one who takes over uh, Veidt Industries and turns into True Industries, and then you ultimately learn that she is uh, Veidt's daughter, and and you know, the wildest. The wildest impregnation scene ever, <laughs> you know. I mean, this is like pulling from daytime. I mean, yeah. like I'm having flashbacks about stolen sperm and so Lick. forth. And slap it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, we're literally she just you know steals that vial of his sperm and just sticks it in her. You know, I mean, uh, Lady yeah, True's but- mother and. You know, and then and then Lady True, you know, her mission is, you know, she wants to usurp her father because her father thinks that, you know, he is smarter and he is better than everybody. He is better than a woman. And I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. That plan of hers <laughs> that she and Will Reeves were cooking up was just so off the wall Wasn't that I, I, you get bits and pieces of it let alone figuring out how the 7th Cavalry fits in there with Joe King Jr., who James Walk, you know, that was the perfect role for him because he plays that kind of privileged, um, quite elitist male very, very well. He, he, he has played that kind of similar character in a number of different shows over the years with with different ranges of vulnerability but you know Joe King he is very he's very smarmy very smug you you can see where he, he's going from, from as soon as they introduce him i mean you just know where you know he he, he you, you can smell you know white supremacy <laughs> on, like and just you can just you can just it smells like bleach <laughs> yes so, so this whole notion of, you know, it's like, is it the Seventh Calvary who's trying to steal, you know, um, Cal slash Doctor Manhattan's powers from him, or is it Lady True? And that, you know, this whole notion that, you know, everybody's really been watching Angela and Cal play house for, you know, ten years or whatever, just kind of waiting until all these pieces fell in. Uh, well, Lady True certainly was playing this long game. Um, you know, in the 7th Cavalry, you know, they were kind of playing catch-up after the White Knight. So, I mean, I, literally, you know, you just kind of have to sit there and absorb it. Um, yes. You can't... I'll be on. I mean, like, kind of understand to explain how that machine was going to strip... Dr. Manhattan's powers away from him and then transfer him for them into Lady True, you know, and I will say it was very gross how, you know, it essentially liquefied Joe King Jr. It, it, it was just like, yeah, it was a lot all at the same time. <laughs> it was, I mean, and, and that's something to say about this series because it, it like you, yeah, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. But if we get to the end, I want to get to the final scene. Do you think that Angela was able to walk on the water? 
Yes. See, I think the same thing. I yeah. I really wish and the series, if anyone doesn't know, it they've already said it's one and done. It was only intended to be a limited series. It, it was gonna be a one and done series. Everyone agreed. But with everything that happened and the final scene ending the way that it did, I want them to do one more. Just give me one more season and we can start exactly where we ended with Angela Abor possibly walking on water, listening to the words of Dr. Manhattan. That's that's all I want, HBO. Please. I know it's not going to happen because the director has said no. Regina King has said no. We can't do it without either of them. But that is definitely something that I would enjoy exploring. So Damon Lindelof, who, who the creator of the show, you know, he's waffled about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've even, you know, uh, there have been some uh, blog posts on... Um, uh, Geek Confidential, where you know we we've mentioned uh, how you know he's like, well, kind of, sort of, maybe if I have this idea, if the stars align, you know, <laughs> just um, right. It just right. I mean, is it well? You know, clearly, it's not gonna be necessarily motivated by someone backing a Brinks truck up. Right. I'm sure you know money will play a factor in this, and especially since Time Warner, at t you know, you know, they're moving into the streaming realm and, you know, having more, uh, more seasons of something that they can put on a streaming service would be better than having a one and done. I, you know, I just don't know. And then Lindelof, you know, there, he was, he did a number of podcasts where he talked about how conflicted he felt about just doing this one season yeah. uh, because of the, the history of the franchise and just mm-hmm. especially how one of its creators, Alan Moore feels about this Watchmen just keeps being a thing and um, it, it, and how he feels like he's cursed by Al- Alan Moore. Just, so who knows? I, I do feel like give him some distance and then perhaps maybe, you know, two years from now, three years from now, maybe we'll get another season. All right. Well, as a viewer, as a viewer of the show and knowing about the comics, Mo, I wanted to get your opinion of how does the series compare to the comics? Does it really honor them? Is it a bit different? How did you feel? Well, I, I think it's it's a great homage to the original 12-issue run of Watchmen because this is what Lind- Lindelof has always said. This is, you know, what he like he liked to refer, he would refer to it in several podcasts and so forth, including the original, they had an official Watchmen podcast that was a remix. And mm. really, you can say it's a remix because, one, it takes place... You know, about 35 years after the events of of the Watchmen graphic novel. Okay, mm-hmm. it includes it, it. One of the key plot points from the, the the television series Watchmen, which is not included in the movie, is the Squid Invasion, and 
how that takes, you know, and that's a that's a key sequence for one of the characters, Wade, looking glass, you know, how he was traumatized by the squid invasion that Adrian Veidt unleashed, you know, in, in the 80s. Mm. And that whole secret, you know, that the government knew about Veidt's plan to, you know, to bring up to stop nuclear Armageddon and so forth. That was a that was a key plot difference from the movie that was not in the movie. And so I think it, it, it does honor the entire breadth of the source material. The fact that, you know, even though we don't get Night Owl, mm-hmm. okay, uh, Dan Driesberg, who in, in, the, in, the, in the comic um, was eventually is, becomes, uh, he becomes romantically involved with Lori, um, Lori Silk Spectre after she breaks up with Dr. Manhattan. He is mentioned his the owl iconography is throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does a very good job of keeping that character alive, even though he is off screen in some sort of supermax. Um, and that's a whole plot point. They can go down that rabbit hole because, again, that was you know part of that deal, which is the reason why uh, Laurie got roped into this whole thing is is that. Um, you know, she 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 was like, well, this is an opportunity. Maybe you know, if I if I do scratch Joe King Jr.'s back, he'll get my he'll get Night Owl out. You know, mm-hmm. um, then you know they 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 touch upon her father, the comedian. I mean, who who was a sociopath? Um, it, it does a very good job of honoring the the source material, but creating something totally totally new and it and honestly if if for a lot of people who are coming into this show you know you can if you want to know more about the world you know and haven't read the graphic novel it is readily available that thing has not been out of print since the 80s and which is amazing it's just amazing but it's also one of the controversies mm-hmm. and it's one of the reasons why Lindelof you know, he felt weird about doing it because mm-hmm. the deal was allegedly that, you know, uh, the rights for Watchmen would revert back to the creators, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, once it was no longer in print by DC Comics. And, and mm-hmm. however, because DC Comics has kept the graphic novel in print mm-hmm. because it's a, it continues to be a bestseller, plus they've kept the IP alive by having different types of Watchmen spinoff comics, which was uh, a series called Before Watchmen, which was a, a bunch of different prequel books that set before the original graphic novel series, and another sequel that recently f- wrapped up as well called Doomsday Clock, which ironically, Doomsday Clock, um, the, the comic series, which was 12 issues, the last issue of Doomsday Clock came out the Wednesday after... The, uh, the the ninth episode of Watchmen came on HBO. So it was it was if you were a fan of Watchmen, you know you were in peak Watchmen, and you had peak Watchmen that that week in December. Uh, I mean, it it was just a lot of it was coming out. So one of the last things I want to talk about is how Watchmen compares in terms of themes and characters to all of our other recent superhero TV shows that have featured 
African American lead characters like Black Lightning or Luke Cage or Raising Dion. And I feel like in the spectrum of those shows, this one has a way of focusing on history and how that history has systemically impacted now like no other. I think the rest of the shows that I listed, you know, Black Lightning and Luke Cage, Black Lightning kind of focuses on that issue a lot in their world, but not as much, not as deep, and definitely not as absolutely insane as they can because I think maybe they're limited of the on the network they're on because Watchmen was on HBO, so there were no limits. It could do whatever it wanted, and trust me, they did. And I love that we kept the focus on our main characters. You know, it was always about Regina King. It was about Dr. Manhattan, who in this case was portrayed by a black man. Um, the first hooded justice, like Mo was talking about earlier, was actually a black man. I think they kept the focus on that and it really worked. It worked in this case on this show. And I really hope we get more shows like this that like to focus on what actually happened and how it's truly affecting today still. What do you think, Mo? Well, I was going to um, mention, like, one of the big themes that they talked about a lot in Watchmen was this notion of generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, literally you have an episode in which, you know, Sister Knight literally under deals with generational trauma you know, first her grandfather's, and then later on her own trauma when we learn about, you know, her origin and what happened to her parents. And I think, you know, Black Lightning in particular, I think does a good job of trying to contextualize, you know, contemporary issues, uh, wrapping up in, in a framework of, something urban but super heroic and just remembering it's a CW show. Mm-hmm. But I will say that the third season that just wrapped did go there about generational trauma. It didn't mm-hmm. necessarily name it. And it wasn't sort of this intellectual discussion that we got with Watchmen. But mm-hmm. once they introduced, especially once they got to Gravedigger, Wayne Brady's character, Yes. And then they started talking about, you know, um, how the government had experimented on on uh, people of color, poor people and, and, and marginalized groups and that how Freeland was, you know, their testing ground. And again, it go and, and you know, you when you start getting there, then you can kind of see where, you know, it, it's kind of aiming for Black Lightning's tr- kind of trying to, you know, stretch itself to where Watchmen is. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't necessarily, you know, not necessarily, ha- it, it may not be able to get there given what, you know, how it's packaged. Mm-hmm. I absolutely um, agree. So, so yeah, I, I, I think um, in, in terms of, like, Luke Cage, I, I, I think, you know, it, it very much was... I would say, in many ways, Luke Cage is the the antithesis of, of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, be, because 
it's not Watchmen was trying is trying was trying to do like again these these very cerebral things where Luke Cage was very grounded it was very driven by the moment it was just it was very much a thing of the moment um yeah it touched upon you know again issues of experimentation with with prisoners and underrepresented people and again you know how how black men are treated within society and it it touch i feel like it it does touch on those things on a surface level Mm -hmm. you know but at the it's very much a very urban contemporary show it's not necessarily trying to open the door to these these sort of larger discussions right yeah i know i i can absolutely agree with that well folks looks like our time is up here i hope you enjoyed our watchman discussion uh please follow us on twitter at gk confidential you can find me at melody Akles. You can find Mo at Dr. Mo77. Let us know how you feel about this podcast and have a great evening. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all.